Welcome to the Women Who Lead podcast, a place where we celebrate, connect, and develop every woman in her leadership journey. Thanks for coming along. Hi, friends. Welcome to uh, number three in our uh, 12-session leadership journey uh, podcast. We're uh, kind of um, weaving these in to our other podcast. I hope you're enjoying them. Uh, Like I said, this is number three, and we've been talking about uh, Timothy. Um, Moms are in the faith, and Paul as his mentor in the journey, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We've been using uh, verses 1 through 15. Uh, Honed in a little bit on our last uh, conversation in verses 6 and 7, And looking at how, um, you know, Timothy is this unlikely disciple. He's a mumser. He's uh, of the union of uh, a Gentile father, an unbeliever of that day, um, and a Jewish mother. And so uh, he comes from this nowhere town in Lystra, a tiny little town, nowhere place. And uh, he basically is because he's a mumser, he's, he, there's certain rules that follow him. He can't be circumcised like the other Hebrew children. He can't um, join and be taught by the rabbis, be a part of the community of faith, all of those things. And so there's a lot of shame that we know comes with our story often. And uh, so in looking at that, um, I, I love to use Timothy as this example because you know, Paul comes into his life, and Paul notices um, that he has a call of God on his life, and and that and Paul wants to call that out in him. And so we see through verses six and seven. You know, uh, Paul is basically saying, Timothy, you're called. He's like, remember, he says, when um, I first laid hands on you. He's like, remember the faith, remember the story, um, keep that ablaze. He says, remember, Timothy, God doesn't give you the spirit of fear. And then he challenges him to keep the call of God ablaze in his heart, in his life. And so we were talking about the calling piece, and um, I wanted to kind of start this, go into the calling, and then we'll hit the last two points and end this series today. But um, in the calling piece, we were talking about this dying to self. Like, none of us are probably as unlikely disciples, going to be called on to actually give our life, like our physical body, to die for Christ. The disciples did. Like many of them, when they committed to following Christ, later they would be, um, you know, uh, these unlikely deaths of crucifixion upside down and Uh, boiled in vats of oil and all kinds of terrible things when the persecution of the church and the disciples started to happen. And so when we think about counting the cost and uh, the cross, taking up our cross as leaders and following Christ, we're not usually thinking in terms that it's going to cost me my physical life. Um, But I know for myself, just a personal story, in 2014, in July of that year, my family faced kind of this reality of physical death with kingdom purpose when my brother Terry died on a missions trip um, in India. And 
The accident occurred while he, along with some men from his church and a missionary, trekked through the Himalayas to share the gospel to unreached people group. And um, Terry wasn't a novice uh, mountain climber. He had lived in Colorado and had, you know, climbed 24 of the of the 14ers and he was in great shape. He had trained, was always training for some type of, cha to challenge his physical body. And so I say that, to preface it, to say he was ready for this trip. He, he had done all of the things he should have done to prepare for it. But, um, he ended up a tragic accident, and he fell, um, died instantly um, in the Himalayan mountains. And the missionary, after his death, recounted a story about Terry that happened a few days earlier. And he said that they had all met at base camp to review a list of helpful rules, you know, to follow for relating to the people and understanding their culture, just like, you know, things like, hey, you know, they may live in huts, but these this is their home. And so when you are invited in, take your shoes off, take your boots off, um, be courteous. They don't have much, but it, it's, it's what they have. So there were cultural things they were talking about in this session. And at the end of it, Terry approached the missionary privately, and he said, hey, he was like, Tim, at the end of this trip, I'm going to, give you another one to add to your list. And um, it's funny because when I say that, I can hear him, you know, his voice saying that. And the missionary shared with us, his, you know, Terry's family later, that while he and two other men uh, had to make a makeshift stretcher out of Terry's tent to carry his body to the village, the nearby village, um, he said the thought occurred to him that Terry had written rule number 11. And he looked at the men and he said, it may cost you your life, but are you willing to go? And I paused there because, like, it's a heavy leadership principle. We don't think saying yes to God or doing that is going to cost us our physical life. And the idea that you and I will experience literal death for the cause of Christ is very unlikely. But Jesus speaks of a spiritual principle that leaders can't ignore, and that is, we talked about it last time, dying to self. Leaders have to take up their cross and follow Jesus. They have to lead to follow. All right? We just can't, you know, go full blaze in. We have to lead to follow. We have to lean into God, hear his voice. We have to be sensitive to the spirits moving. We have to have emotional intelligence. We have to know when we walk into a room what is needed for that time. Sometimes we have to apologize. You know, these are the leaders God is looking, the unlikely disciples he's looking for. And while this usually doesn't happen, it doesn't make sense, it remains this principle, this death and dying principle, that we have to practice. Um, the reciprocal part of that calling happens in death. John 12, 24 says that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So there's the principle. You know, what will this call cost you? What will the call of God on your life cost you? And 
what's holding you back is a question I would ask as we move into the second part of this where Timothy was changed. Um, there was something in Paul's motivation in the tapping of the spirit on his heart to nudging him to say, this is you, to the point where there was the laying on of hands of Paul and the elders to recognize the call that Timothy had. There was the dying to self, um, the uh, laying aside the worries of being a mumser and not being the likely one of the small town that should be doing this. And so we see here that Timothy said, you know, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, um, let's talk about the second part of the calling that Tim, Paul is saying to Timothy, saying, you are changed. He says, the scripture says, for God will never give you the spirit of fear. Did you hear that? God will never give you the spirit of fear. So if you're afraid, that is not of God. God is not the one giving you that. But the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. And so the spirit of fearing men is this fear that is being talked about in this scripture. When Paul says, for God will never give you the spirit of fear, if you look into the commentaries of that and the words that are being used, it's actually the spirit of fearing men. The fear of God prevents us from fearing others. So there's a question being asked of us when we are answering the call of God on our lives, especially as unlikely disciples. The question is this, will you fear man or will your fear of God be greater than that? And if we choose to follow God like the Moses and the Davids and the Pauls and the Priscillas and the, um, you know, the Esthers and the, the Deborahs to be the judge when it wasn't it wasn't even likely for a female judge in Israel. In the Old Testament, I mean, think about that. But we have to weigh that out. Is it, the, is it the spirit of fearing men that is greater for you? Or is it the fear of God that is greater for you? And if it's the fear of God, then we move forward in the call of being an unlikely disciple. That's what happens to us. And Paul reminds Timothy, walk in his individual calling, fan it into flame, um, to not let the brightness that only he can bring be extinguished by fearful and timidness. You know, are we really going to do that? Find that place of your calling, he says, walk in it, keep it aflame. Let, let all this stuff that you've been called that's attached to your story, leave it behind. Walk in it, Timothy, because there are other mumsers out there. There are other illegitimate children out there who need to know that Jesus came to make the loners, the unlikely, the likely ones, uh, and give them a family, a place of acceptance at the cross. He's like, you go tell them because you, God's going to use your story. He challenges him with that spirit of fear. No longer can people or rules or laws say you're not welcomed here because now because of the cross, 
God says, whoever will may come. When I think of, of people in the faith, you know, that are doing these amazing things for over history, the unlikely disciples, think about someone like a Sojourner Truth um, who lived during the, you know, 1790s through 1800s during that time of slavery. And she changed the course of the 19th century America. Talk about an unlikely disciple, a black woman. She rubbed shoulders with the likes of the renowned abolitionist Frederick Douglass and was welcomed at the White House by President Abraham Lincoln, a black woman. Come on, an unlikely disciple. She was born into slavery in New York as um, her name was Isabel um, Bomfrey and later nicknamed Belle. She was separated from her parents at the age of 11 and sold to many different slave owners. But it was her early formative years with her mother that framed truth's spiritual sensitivities and fortified her against slavery. Um, she was freed from slavery in 1826. Truth then legally secured freedom for her son from an Alabama plantation owner and later became the first African-American to win a slander suit against notable whites. She confronted racism, sexism, and social injustice at every turn. Sojourner truth. Can I tell you that God calls you in your time and in your place to do a life of obedience? Unlikely disciples, mumsers, he calls us to do this life of obedience. He calls us to basically be this like um, person who we see a need and we fill it. We, we can speak a word and live it. That's powerful. He calls us to be these people that will stand in the gap and be Jesus with skin on. He calls us to be these people who will ask, I may be an unlikely disciple, but how do I contribute to God's mission? How am I going to contribute to God's mission? And we do that and start walking and allowing God to help us to flourish in life and leadership. Harriet Tubman. Love Harriet Tubman. There's a movie that came out uh, several years ago called Harriet. And if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. Number one, I've watched it several times. But there's this scene where Harriet has made it to freedom. She's in Philadelphia. She's come through the Underground Railroad. Um, she's come by herself, not even with a group of people. And she's made it through, and there's this part of her who says, I just can't have this for myself. Now that I've experienced freedom and know it's possible, I'm going back, and I'm going to get my family, and, my fr and I'm going to free them. And as she's, this scene is being portrayed in the movie, and she's telling this to this gentleman who is in charge, he looks at her and he says, no, you can't go back. You'll die. You'll, he's giving her all the reasons why. You just be glad, basically, that you've found this. Now, think about this in terms of spiritual. Like, you don't have to do what I'm nudging you to do. You just be glad that you are in the safe place, that you've heard the message, that you've found the, your place at the cross, that you've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins. But I'm calling you to do more, but you can be comfortable and just stay where you are. 
And Harriet Tudman at this moment, you know, she looks at him and says, don't you tell me what I can't do. She says, what's a woman who's led by God? And I think in the face of adversity, God is raising up women and men to pull back the darkness. And what's a woman who's led by God? Who cares that I'm a woman? If I'm led by God and led by the Spirit of God, no one can tell me what I can't do because God is the one opening up the doors. God is doing that in and through my life. And then he tells Timothy in this, he says, not only are you called, you know, not only do I challenge you, Timothy, secondly, challenge you to not let fear and, and timidness to hold you back from doing what I've called you, but I challenge you, Timothy, to walk and keep your calling ablaze. Keep, keep it lit. Light it up, he's saying. You know, he says, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid my hands on you. Now, there's a tendency when we think of fire uh, that the fire is going to go out. And, and, and I know we have like a, uh, an outdoor fireplace. And I got to poke it and stir it occasionally for those embers to start to burn. And that's the spiritual metaphor of what believers have to do with God's gifts to them. We've got to continually poke it and excite the gift. The, the word fan, uh, the, the Greek word for fan, into flame, fan, here, literally means rekindle. And it's, it means excite the gift or awake the gift. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, not only don't worry and be fearful and timid, remember your call and the laying on of hands, but he's like, also, you keep waking up that gift that I've given you. You keep waking it up. Awaken that gift. Fanning the flame means giving that fire, that gift, oxygen. Feeding it material that burns. If you've got to go back to school, if you've got to, um, you know, surround yourself with women who are far ahead than you and let them mentor you in the journey. This is fanning that flame. That's breathing oxygen into the gift and feeding it material that causes that gift to burn. Don't be around the naysayers. Don't, don't be led by those people who are um, saying you can't do it and this is why, but surround yourself with those who will help awaken that gift. One of the things I did was I went back to school and was part of a women's leadership cohort at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. And in those four years of training for my master's degree in leadership, I was surrounded by women who were awakening and exciting the gift of God that was in me. Because like begets like. And I was with them, experiencing them, their thoughts and what they were saying. And God was just fanning this flame in me, this gift of God in me. Oxygen was being breathed into me, and my fire was burning bigger and bigger and bigger. So when we think about that, each of us has our own, uh, you know, way of doing that, our own giftings, but we all have the Spirit of God which has been given to us. You know, 
are we calling on the Spirit? Are we inviting the Spirit to guide us? Um, you know, there's so much we could say about that. Ephesians 3.20 says, Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. So think about it. Are you letting him energize you? Are we listening to this power of God? Um, Gordon T. Smith in Courage and Calling says, when we speak of calling, we do so with the appreciation of the extraordinary potential of each person to make a difference for good. By this, I do not mean that everyone needs to be a hero, but rather in the midst of the simple ordinariness of everyday life, the work we do has the capacity to be good work that has profound worth and significance. Can I remind you as I close today just on this series we've been doing with Timothy that God surprised a stutterer to speak for him, Moses. He took a weakling to defend him, who was Gideon, an infertile woman to be the mother of Israel, Sarah, unforgettable youngest son to be the most unforgettable king, David, an unknown youngster to be the mother of his son, Mary, and a, a persecutor of the gospel to take the gospel to the nations. His name was Paul. And lastly, the guy we've been talking about, he took a mumser, an illegitimate, an unlikely son to be the successor of Paul and to preach the gospel and plant churches. So I just want to remind you today, my listeners, if you're listening here, Timothy was called and so are you. There's a gracious gift that's been given to you either by laying on of hands or a nudging in your heart, a tapping on your heart. Timothy was changed and so are you. God does not give you that spirit of fear. Are you going to fear man or fear God more? And if you fear God more than you fear man, you're going to walk in what God has called you to do. And then Timothy was challenged by Paul to give oxygen to that gift, put material in that fire that's going to make it burn and make it burn brighter. So here at Women Who Lead, one of the big things we say, and I'm going to leave you with this today, is um, we're cheering you on and uh, loving what God is doing in your life. And uh, let us know if you're enjoying the podcast, these leadership series. And uh, God bless you and stay tuned because uh, we've got more to come. <laughs>